0: And walked into his school classroom that day, and as he looked around, something was missing. Some of his classmates weren't there that day. Where were they? In fact, day after day, he found that the classmates weren't there in his classroom. And if you went throughout the, the United States, you'd find that between 1942 and 1946, many citizens of the United States disappeared. What happened? I want you to go back with me to Revelation chapter 13. If you have your Bible, uh, grab it, look it up. If you'd like a Bible, there's some on the table back there uh, at the entryway. Revelation 13, we're just going to do a little reveal. We're going we're gonna to test your memory from last week. Is that okay? I think you remember, those of you who were here, those of you who weren't here, you can try to fill in the details as we go through. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11 is the second piece that comes up in Revelation chapter 13. This is John writing. He said, "Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon." Now, what did we learn about this last week? Anybody, what 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 stuck out to you from last week? The earth represented a sparsely populated area, right? And this beast isn't isn't seen as, as coming out of a multitude of people, but instead it comes up and it springs up somewhat peacefully in a sparsely populated area. And it has two horns, and those horns don't have crowns on them, which reminded us that this kingdom didn't have a king. And it comes up at the end of the 1260 years, which would be around the time of 1798. And so as we looked at what new nation was springing up to be a world power, In the late 1700s, springing up in the new world rather than the old world, not having a king, and notice it had two horns, not only not having a king, so having this civil liberty, this liberty from a tyrant, but also having religious liberty, liberty of conscience, the freedom to worship God in the way that you deem right. What nation would that be? You saw clearly, it's the United States of America, and it's... Fascinating when you look at how historians have described the rise of the United States, and without even thinking about it, they basically use a lot of language that's similar to this about how it grew up in a the New World in the sparsely populated area, and, and you could almost hear this 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 prophecy in their writings. But then it, and we saw how it is lamb like, and that lamb likeness. What what was that represented by? peaceful, gentle, yeah, young peaceful, gentle, cuddly um, but more than that the, the principle of the gospel that, that that Jesus gives us the consent to be governed, he doesn't force himself on us but he gives us the freedom to love him and the United States founding document is that all men are created equal and that everybody should have the opportunity for liberty and justice and also, the First Amendment of the Constitution says Congress shall enact no law regarding how people practice their religion. Everybody should be able to worship God freely. These are lamb-like principles of freedom. And yet we saw, what does it go on to say? This contrast. You have lamb-likeness, likeness to Jesus, and then you also have, it's speaking like a dragon. It's, it's enacting things that, that are not Christ-like. And, and we saw the reality that me, as a white guy not owning land, I wouldn't have been able to vote until 18, I think it was 68. That's some um, almost 100 years into our nation's history. You who are ladies wouldn't have been able to vote till 1920. So, so although we say, uh, yeah, you have the freedom to, to consent to be governed, we didn't actually give that freedom to everybody. Although we said everybody's created equal, well... Every white male is created equal. And then later in the 1900s, we began to add other nationalities until finally 1965. We even added our black fellow Americans to that list of people that mattered who really were created equal. So you see this terrible dragon-like tendency. And then verse 12. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now there's this, this fascinating thing that's taking place here. Because if you remember that dragon back in Revelation chapter 12, first of all, he represented Lucifer. But then it says that the dragon persecuted the male child. And how did he do that? Did, did Satan actually come when, when Mary was having Jesus and try to put him to death? Did he, was he the one that nailed him to the cross? This was done through the Roman Empire. So you have the dragon representing the Roman Empire, but then he passes the baton on and you get this picture now of a, a sea beast. It's it's a little bit of a, a veiled figure of what the dragon is all about, but at the same time when people are following the sea beast, they're still following the dragon. And this sea beast represented what the church did through the Middle Ages, the the, the common Roman Catholic church of the time, the general church. And how... They distorted the picture of God to the extent where they burned people for not believing the way that they did. Where they forced people to go on a long penance journey, uh, to, 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 to pay indulgences, to get their loved ones out of out of uh, purgatory and all of these different things. They distorted the picture of who God really was. But then you have this power passing the baton to a lamb-like feast. And you see, each time, there's there's more of a veiling of of the character of Satan and and more of a a likeness to God, really, in the picture of the power that comes up. And in the United States, you see this amazing land of liberty, this beautiful place of freedom where that cloak is very thick, and it it can be very uh, easy to miss the satanic characteristics that are described here and that are going to come more and more. And even to to try to imagine that this is really going to take place in this land of liberty, it can be challenging to imagine this. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now, we noted that this isn't just worshipping that beast but it's just like how the, the first beast has you worship the dragon by distorting the character of God. So here you have another beast who is distorting God's character in the same way as that other beast. So when you participate in those actions, you are, in effect, going along with the first beast. And then this. Uh, in causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And we haven't gone into detail about the deadly wound being healed, but you see this transformation beginning to take place especially around the late 1920s. And then verse 13. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. So can you think of of stories in the Bible? Because when we go to Revelation, the first thing that we need to think is not, okay, so what headlines happened this week that should apply to Revelation? The first thing we should think is, okay, so what is the context here? from the Bible that John is wanting us to understand. So so think about Old Testament stories. Where do you have a great sign that involved fire coming down from heaven? I see. And what was it? Elijah. And this is fascinating because okay, this is really cool. Don't miss this. So how long was the drought that Elijah had before he went up on Mount Carmel and they had this contest and fire came down from heaven? Three and a half years. Three and a half years right? So the the 1260 years is also described as 42 months is also described as three and a half years, times, times, and half a time, right? So you see here, after this this time period of, of spiritual drought, what happens? You have a figure coming in and appearing to call fire down from heaven as a sign. But this time, it's not for the true God. And this time, it's a false prophet. In fact, the rest of the book of Revelation, when it describes the United States, you can see it when you read false prophet. That's, that's what it's depicting here. So so you have fire coming down from heaven. And what took place after the fire fell from heaven? You have the people saying, the Lord, he is God. And then what does Elijah do? He kills all the 450 prophets of Baal. They're, they're put to death on the spot. Now, can you think of another time in the Bible when fire fell from heaven as a sign? Put our thinking caps on this morning. Pentecost, right? You have these tongues of fire coming down on their head, and after that, you have the church. There's these signs and wonders being multiplied. So here you have a picture of a revival taking place, right? You have fire coming from heaven. You have some sort of revival taking place in the United States. But the picture of what takes place is actually really brutal. So it goes on to say, verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs. So are these true signs? It's not actually God who's active in these signs. Even though there's miraculous things happening, even though people are really excited about it, these signs are actually for the purpose of deception. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, and then telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. So now he says, hey, let's make an image to this beast. Now this again gives us a little hint that this is the United States of America because notice that this power is not saying, okay, so we are going now to build an image. But what does he say? The end of verse 14, telling those who dwell on the earth, right, telling the inhabitants of the earth, trying to convince them to go along with this plan. That only happens in a democracy where you can actually get the vote of the people. So he's, he's trying to get the vote of the people to come along with This, this is what the beast power is doing. The, uh, verse 14 says, to dwell on the earth, to make an image to the beast. Now this, this isn't saying that they're actually going to uh, make the beast power ascend in the United States. but instead it's saying let's form something like what this beast power did throughout the Middle Ages and what did we see that was? That was it began with the union of church and state when the church got to the place where they had the authority of the state and they could begin to force people into their box of what they thought everybody needed to believe and what everybody what they thought was really important for everybody. Does this making sense? So an image to the beast would be the same thing. Here in the United States, when the church rises up to the extent of saying, what we really need is to get enough people together to decide on things in such a way that we can force everybody into our box of belief. Now, if you look at this, it turns worse. I wish it got better. Um, It will, Revelation chapter 14, but we're looking at Revelation 13 today. So it says, He was granted power to give birth, verse 15, give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as who would worship the image of the beast to be killed. What? Does this seem crazy to talk about in the United States? To say, okay, so so this is actually going to happen here in the United States. This power is going to grasp for the, the religious power is going to use the secular power in order to cause those who don't follow along to be killed. Am I stretching things here? Hey, is this even possible in a country like this? Well, we've, we've seen already that this beast has spoken like a dragon throughout. And the reality is that this happened around the time of World War II. You know, why those 70,000 American citizens disappeared in World War II? They were Japanese. American citizens. Upstanding American citizens. And they were taken and they were put put into internment camps. And they were kept in guarded camps, unable to leave. And you would think, well, here we have this balance of powers, you know, maybe the president and Congress might decide on something like that, but then the Supreme Court could turn it over. But unfortunately, that's not what happened. How could something like that begin to happen? Well, here's here's the crucial thing to understand: in the United States, this beautiful Constitution, this beautiful founding document, the preamble to the Constitution says this: "We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union." Establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish the Constitution for the United States of America. So the purpose of the Constitution I said, is so that everybody can have a common defense, so that we can have a unity, so that everybody's welfare can be watched out for. And so... When it came to World War II, the President and Congress approved this putting uh, the Japanese in internment camps. And when it came uh, to the interpretation of the Constitution by the Supreme Court, justifying the legal injustice of treating national citizens in this manner, the Supreme Court insisted in the name of common defense that a few Americans of Japanese ancestry were traitors. A war was in progress at the time. And war is an aggregation of hardships. It's war. We gotta do what we gotta do to make sure that we have the common defense of the people. Alfred Kelly and Winfred Harbison, uh, who are historians of constitutional history, wrote this, in future wars, no person belonging to a racial, religious, cultural, or political minority can be assured that community prejudice and bigotry will not express itself in a program of suppression justified as military necessity with resulting destruction of his basic rights as a member of a free society. If if you're not a part of the majority in a democracy, if you're not a part of, of the in crowd, liberty and justice for all, can be taken away by the majority for the defense of the majority. That's the way the Constitution ends up getting interpreted by the Supreme Court. So what is it that would lead religious leaders to ask for a secular power to enforce laws to the extent where they actually want for people to be killed? I mean, what Christian would ever come up with this madness? Well, We should ask what happened in the Middle Ages. Why did that happen? But look even at the time of Jesus. Look with me at another time where fire was desired at having come down from heaven. Look at Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. We go to Luke chapter 9. We find that Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. And we find a story that involves some bigotry and prejudice and the reality is, okay, this is what I want you to walk away with today. Whatever your picture of God is, whatever whatever you cherish in your heart or whatever any conception you might have about, about this divine being, when you get under pressure in your life, when, when things crash down around you, you're going to act out that picture of God. And you're going to treat other people based on what you conceive about God. Just look at what takes place in Luke chapter 9. Okay, Luke chapter 9, we're going to go to verse 51. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So Jesus says, okay, I'm going to Jerusalem. And verse 52, and he sent messengers before his face. Now this is totally different from what Jesus normally did. He's sending messengers out saying, hey, Jesus is coming to town. Normally, Jesus is telling everybody, hey, don't tell them that I healed you. Don't, don't, don't let people know who I am. Don't let them know that I'm the son of God. Don't let them know that I'm the Messiah. But now he's headed to the cross. And so he says, okay, I'm sending out messengers. Disciples, I want you to go to the towns ahead of us. And I want you to let them know that Jesus is coming through town. I want them to be ready. For so they're going around to towns doing this. And they entered a village of the Samaritans. Now this tells me something. The disciples have been paying attention. Because Jesus had gone to the woman at the well, and he had stayed there three days longer. Normally, they wouldn't have sought lodging for Jesus in Samaria. Normally, they wouldn't have have wanted for the Samaritans to extend hospitality. Normally, they probably would have thought, God, Jesus isn't talking about Samaria. In fact, when he first sent out the twelve disciples, he didn't send them to Samaria, knowing the prejudice that they had. But this time, they go into a village of the Samaritans, hated by the disciples and by Jews, to prepare for him. And the Samaritans hated the Jews, likewise. Notice verse 53. But they did not receive him, because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. You see, they believed that the temple should be built right there, under the Mount garrison. They, they believed that, that the temple should be there, that people should come and worship there, that that was the place that was the right place to worship. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and they're like, well, if you would come here and deal with us in the way that we like, great, but we're not down with this. And so they did not receive him. Now notice what happens, okay? This shows you the picture that James and John have in their hearts of what God is like. Verse 54, And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? Jesus, they're rejecting you these people are infidels they're they're totally godless they've denied Jesus they deserve to die call fire down from heaven, get them out of the way these are disciples of Jesus they've been with Jesus for three years watching him heal, watching him teach watching him minister to people they're saying call down fire from heaven because I think that's what God's like you know If people don't follow him, he wants to destroy them on the spot. Verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. What's he saying? You you don't realize that's not the spirit of God prompting you. You have demonic spirits that you are being compelled by Satan. You are speaking like a dragon right now, James and John. That's dragon speak. And we need to get that out of here. Verse 56, for the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. If you walk away with nothing else, please walk away with this. Jesus did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. No matter how far you've fallen, no matter what you've done in your life, Jesus came for you. He's not trying to destroy your life. The things that he offers are simply to make your life better. His law is there is a law of love and liberty to set you free from all the chains that, that bind you in your life. And so they went on from there to another village. And, and Jesus doesn't just leave it at that. Because what he does is in, in chapter 10, he begins to send out the 70. And you remember where the 12 weren't to go when he sent them out? To so Samaria and to the Gentiles. He sends the 70 out. He says nothing about the Samaritans, but he sends them to Samaria too. In fact, that was the first place, I believe, that he sent the disciples, the the 70 to. And then, later in chapter 10, uh, he tells the story of the good Samaritan. When somebody asks, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus is like, ah, let me tell you about the Samaritan. The priest and the Levite, they're going down the road, and they neglect to help this beaten man. But the Samaritan... What? Jesus, they they didn't let you... They're neighbors? What are you talking about? They're the ones that rejected you from coming to their city, and now you're telling these good stories about them? Do you see the true fire from heaven that God is longing to bring, as opposed to this false revival, this fire from heaven, is is, is a fire like is described in Romans 12, 12, verse 20. It says, when you give your enemy something to drink, when you do good things to your enemy, you're heaping coals of fire on their head. Just keep loving, and keep loving, and keep loving, and keep loving. That's the kind of revival that our country needs right now. It's not to force people into our religious box. It's not to try to get them into the right space. It's to invite them to learn about a love that is better than any other love. And it's to show them what that love looks like as it transforms our own heart in revival. There's a, uh, in the Signs of the Times, March 22, 1910, describing what takes place with this image of the beast. It says this, when the Protestant churches, that means the, the, the leading American churches, shall unite with the secular power to sustain a false religion, For opposing which their ancestors, those were the ones in the Protestant Reformation, endured the fiercest persecution. When the state shall use its power to enforce the decrees and sustain the institutions of the church, then will Protestant America have formed an image to the papacy, and there will be a national apostasy which will end only in national ruin." This picture of of a power that that wants to force its religion on people Is totally contrary to the way that Jesus operates He says, you don't know what manner of spirits you are I didn't come to destroy, I came to save And that has to be my attitude I don't agree with somebody about, about things that they're doing in their life My goal has to be to get as close to them as possible To figure out how I can possibly give them life And invite them to Jesus Whatever way it takes To help them to see who God really is. And as I have a beautiful picture of God, that will change my actions. The Desire of Ages, talking about this experience where uh, Peter and James and John wanted to call fire down from heaven, said this, it is no part of Christ's mission to compel men to receive him. It's not through legal enactments. It's not through our politics that we get people to Jesus. It is Satan and men actuated by his spirit that seek to compel the conscience. Under a pretense of zeal for righteousness, men who are confederate with evil angels bring suffering upon their fellow men in order to convert them to their ideas of religion. But Christ is ever showing mercy, ever seeking to win by revealing his love. He can admit no rival to the soul, nor accept a partial service, but he desires only the voluntary service, the willing surrender of the heart under the constraint of love. Oh man, that's beautiful. To know that there's a God like that who, who only wants to, you to be in his government if you consent. If you fall in love with him and say, man, this God is so beautiful, I really want to follow him. There can be no more conclusive evidence that we possess the spirit of Satan than the disposition to hurt and destroy those who do not appreciate our work, or who act contrary to our ideas. Okay. God is longing for us to love people around us. He's longing for us to extend the same mercy to those around us. And all of it—I don't know exactly what this looks like. I've been at the same place as as Peter, and, I, sorry, James and John were. I'll tell you. I remember you, last week I told you about some of my political craziness, I remember seeing bumper stickers that they said, who would Jesus bomb? And I would immediately go to the person and I'd say, you know who Jesus would bomb? Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Sounds a lot like James and John. How about the fact that God worked with Abraham to plead for as many as possible to be rescued from from Sodom and then how he drug out any person that was willing with his angels, drug Lot out of the city even though he didn't want to be taken out of the city, he had to be taken by the hand and drug out of that city. God is not willing that any should be lost. Second Peter chapter 3 tells us that, hey, this planet is reserved for fire, that that is going to be recreated through fire. Then it says, but God is not slow about the promise to recreate this planet and do away with the suffering. But he's patient. He's not willing that any should be lost. That's good news. That means you. He's not willing that you should be lost. That means your neighbor who has the opposite political persuasions of you. That means those people on the other side of the border. That means every single person on this planet, seven billion people, he's not willing that any of them I should be lost. And I don't know what exactly that should look like for our nation. I'll admit there's some things that that I'm kind of glad didn't get passed. You know that the Mormons went to uh, court battles trying to appeal for equal rights and for religious liberty in order to have polygamy? I'm kind of glad that it got denied at the time. I think since then, maybe in California, it might be legal. now. But anyway... <laughs> I kind of want some of those things to be preserved. I, I have this desire in me for them to be preserved. But I also know that we have often restricted freedom from people in a way that has been harmful and hurtful. Just look at what happened to the Jehovah's Witnesses. There were children during World War II. Jehovah's Witnesses' children. Now, if you're not familiar with the Jehovah's Witness, they don't just knock on your doors, but they also have Clear beliefs, right? They have beliefs about, for instance, the flag. That to salute the flag is idolatry. So their children in World War II are going to school and they're unwilling to salute the flag. And it went all the way to the Supreme Court in order to get these children to be forced to salute the flag, which they believe was idolatry. Seeking to preserve this national identity. At the expense of somebody's religious beliefs that weren't hurting a soul. I'll read you just briefly what the, the Supreme Court, in the, the, the reasoning behind why they decided what they did, said. It said national unity is the basis of national security. We've got to be together in order to be secure. To deny the legislature the right to select appropriate means for its attainment presents a totally different order of problem from that of the propriety of subordinating the possible ugliness of littered streets to the free expression of opinion through handbills. Conscientious scruples have not, in the course of the long struggle for religious toleration, relieved the individual from obedience to a general law not aimed at the promotion or restriction of religious beliefs. This isn't aimed at, at religion. But that was a clear religious belief for them. They could not, that they could not salute the American flag or it was idolatry. Now, granted, I don't like any control from the government. And I kind of understand what, what what, they were going through today. We're worshiping outside. It's smoky. Maybe it would be nicer to be inside the building today. And, and so we begin to recognize that there is some control coming in from the government, that there are steps and measures that are being put in place that haven't yet gotten to a purely religious level but they easily set up what we're reading about in revelation 13 where this could easily split the, the, the turn and, and maybe it's a war maybe it's something else and suddenly you find the mass of humanity voting something into enactment that oppresses the minority so what do we do on a day-to-day basis between now and then how do we preserve religious religious liberty? How do we ensure that we protect ourselves? Well, that's not the question. You see that self-serving principle, that idea of how do I protect me is what creates the problem for everybody else for, for, the, for the minority. What you and I need is the heart of Jesus. that we seek to benefit others even at the cost of ourselves, that we reach out to others even if it extends ourselves beyond what we're able. We'll do whatever it takes to see somebody brought back to Jesus. We'll do whatever it takes to make sure that others have the willingness, or the opportunity to choose for themselves, the opportunity to vote, the opportunity to be free in this country. The real answer real solution is not the fire that comes from heaven in answer to this beast's false signs. Because if you think about it, why does the world respect the United States of America today? Is it because of our Declaration of Independence? Is it because of our Constitution and our amazing laws? If you went to the majority of countries in the world, do you think they would say, man, we just love America because of the amazing freedom that you offer to the world, the amazing way that you do you think that that's the way that the world, why the world respects us as a world power, why we're so powerful today? Or is it the fact that besides Russia, we in Russia have the most nuclear weapons? And we happen to be able to employ them a lot better than Russia, so Russia also is not able to overcome us. The way the United States of America today is powerful is not land like but it's dragon-like. It's based on force not on love, not pretending that I have the answers to world peace, but I know that God wants to bring a revival to our hearts of a true fire, like the fire that fell at Pentecost, which represented the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And you find after the Holy Spirit is poured out that they willingly and freely are consenting to say, hey, here's all my goods. Let's hold it all together and let's work together to make sure that nobody is is lacking anything, that everybody has what they need. And the Holy Spirit still worked them through some things. They finally had to learn that that they could go to the Gentiles, that they could go to everybody in the world. But Jesus, when he gave the gospel commission, you notice he especially highlights not just the other nations, but he says, make sure you go to Samaria. That that town that rejected me. The gospel is first going to be preached in Judea, and then Samaria. So take the good news to them, that I've forgiven them. The gospel is for them, too, that they, too, can have the freedom What we need is a revival that comes through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and if you look in John chapter 16, the last uh, bit of scripture that we'll look at this morning, John chapter 16 reveals clearly this picture of what the Holy Spirit has come to do. Now, if I were to ask you, what passages does Jesus talk about the end of the world? You might say Matthew 24. You might say Luke 21. You might come up with uh, the passage in Mark. Most people don't think about John chapter 16, but recently uh, a friend shared this, and I realized that John chapter 16 is clearly talking about what you and I are going to face in the Revelation 13 scenario. John chapter 16 and verse 1 says, "...these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble." They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. What? People are actually going to think that in killing you, they are doing God's service. You see, it's a religious conflict at the end. It's not some secular power that we need to be worried about, but it's the religious power that comes in. They think they're honoring God, and they're going to seek to squash out anybody who disagrees. That's the Antichrist now. Notice verse 3. This is so powerful. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father or me. So why do they do this? Why do they think it's okay? Why, Why would they kill you thinking they're serving God? Because they don't really know who I am. They don't really know who the Father is. They don't recognize our loving, merciful character. And so they're acting out the picture of God that they hold in their hearts. And then he goes on to give the solution. He says, I, I'm going to leave and it's for your benefit. And I'm going to send the helper, the comforter. And he's going to come and convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He's going to give you this clear picture of what God's entire salvation plan looks like. <laughs> and then it gets even better because look at verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, notice this is the opposite of, Of what the beast power does. The beast comes and he deceives. That's the way Satan operates. But the spirit of truth, when he has come, he will guide you into all truth. Notice, for he will not speak on his own authority. For whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you of things to come. Does this sound at all like Revelation 13? He's not speaking on his own authority. Who else wasn't speaking on his own authority? First of all, the... Okay, so let's go back a couple of weeks. You remember that we have the dragon. He comes and he gives his seat and his authority to the sea beast. The sea beast is mortally wounded and and receives healing to that mortal wound. And we talked about how God the Father gave his throne to Jesus, who had been crucified and raised again. So you have an antichrist. You have uh, a counterfeit of the Father. You have a counterfeit of of Jesus. And then it says that this lamb-like beast will not speak on his own authority, but he speaks based on what the sea beast tells him. Now you have the counterfeit Holy Spirit. You have a counterfeit revival. You have a counterfeit power that is misrepresenting the Holy Spirit. But look at what it goes on to say about the Holy Spirit. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come and he will glorify me. Right? So the beast, the lamb like beast is going to get people to worship who? The sea beast. The, the The papal system of the Middle Ages. Going to get them to adhere to that. Instead, it says, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, the true revival comes, he will get you, he will glorify me, for he will take up what is mine and declare it to you. He's going to reveal things to you more clearly. You're going to be able to grasp them more deeply. And then he says, uh, on down in verse 25, these things I've spoken to you in figurative language. I'm happy to kind of veil these things right now but they're going to become clearer and clearer. He says, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. You'll get to see him for how beautiful he really is. You'll get to recognize him in all of his glory and all of his beauty. And then this beautiful, beautiful part, verse 26. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father. You'll come and you'll pray. And here's the deal, guys. You don't even have to go through me to get to the Father. You see, the the C.V.s try to convince us that, hey, you got to confess to the priest. you got to go to the saints. you got to find somebody that will have enough grace to get you closer to Jesus who will then get you to the Father. But Jesus says there's coming a day where you don't even need to come in my name. But you can come straight to the Father. Why? Look at this. For the Father himself Loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. God Himself loves you. Amen. And the word they're used for love is not agape, which is a beautiful, powerful word of, word of self-sacrificing love that really only belongs to God. It's the kind of love that that won't stop. You know, it's like in a marriage. I've realized something. I can tell Leah that I love her. And that's meaningful. But she might feel like I'm kind of disforcing myself and I'm always going to love her. And that I did that because of my vows. That might not be enough. But the word used here is phileo. It's brotherly love. It's it's based on the fact that that you see in that person something desirable. It's not just to sacrifice yourself, but it's saying, I really like this person. I'll tell you, there's something amazing. When I tell Leah, I love you, but I also like you, her smile gets even bigger. They, because it's about the person that she is. It's about who she is and that I desire that. Not just the commitment that I've made to be faithful to her. But I think that she is likeable. And God says, the father himself likes you. He likes you. He he wants to be with you. You are the product of the choices that you've made in your life, and God can't recreate you. All of eternity, God's heart will be missing you if you refuse to let him in. But nobody needs to do that, because freely provided for you, absolute and complete forgiveness has already been provided for any sin you have committed and any sin you will commit you'll only turn. You'll only turn and accept it. You'll only believe the gospel. Because this is good news. And this changes how I treat people. I can no longer hold things against people. That doesn't mean that I might not set boundaries in order to keep safe parameters, but I can no longer treat people with hatred when I really recognize how God has treated me. Now, I still do sometimes, and that's because... I need to recognize more fully this amazing God. I haven't really come to know Him fully, but every day I just want to know Him a little bit more deeply and to accept the Holy Spirit, that true revival, that fire from heaven, that Pentecost experience that will change everything. As we close, we're going to look, listen to a song, I Am Not Ashamed of the Gospel. If there's anything worth standing for in our country, if there's anything worth living for, it's The free grace of Jesus Christ that requires no merit from you, but that is freely offered to you in the blood. That's what the world needs to hear. The good news of a God who died to set people free. Of a God who loves people more than their own existence. You know, there's another way that a fire can be kindled. James chapter 5 talks about that the tongue, though it's a tiny little instrument, it can set on the very set on fire the very fires of hell we're seeing that in the world today as we see people being torn down rather than being built up let's be a part of sharing the gospel that all men are created equal in god's awesome plan is to invite everybody in let's pray together father thank you thank you for the incredible privilege of living in the united states of america a land of freedom a land where we have liberty to worship like this that that has been denied to many people throughout history. Yet, Father, at the same time, we recognize that events are trending in the wrong direction, that hate is being magnified, that self is being focused on. We ask, God, that you hold back the tide as long as possible. Father, we pray that you would start with our own hearts. Lord, I know it starts with me. Father, would you pour out your holy spirit so that you can be glorified in my heart that i see your amazing love and that i can freely love people around us around me with with grace and mercy because of what you have shown to me father we pray that that would be multiplied in our country Lord, we pray uh, your blessing on uh, a blessing of recovery for for president trump right now we ask for for you to be near him and to use this for for his uh, drawing towards you pray your blessing on joe biden we pray your blessing on this whole uh, political strife that's spiraling around us and we ask that you hold things back from what the the end time scenario is as long as possible and you would teach us how to be agents of hope for the people around us that you teach us how to be like jesus To not call fire down from heaven on the Samaritans, but to just keep getting everybody possible to help them out. Help us to search out the disenfranchised, the minorities around us. Build them up and make sure that they too have a voice. In the name of Jesus, I pray.